hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. One of the things that I, a conversation I have on a, a pretty regular basis with folks who are trying to sort out, gosh, I'm at this place in my business and I just can't seem to move forward. I've got all these obstacles. And one of the first decisions you have to make is, okay, is this a hobby or is this a business? Nathan Ingram is a fantastic freelancer, educator, and coach. I met him doing iThemes webinars, and he always manages to ask the right questions and tee up just the right talking points. I'm excited to talk to him today about how to manage client relationships. Last week, we heard from Erin Flynn about her process for working less, and she mentioned the importance of finding the right clients. Nathan is going to dive deeper into that this week. We'll talk about his book on this very topic, and then we'll talk about a new project he recently launched to help freelancers manage those relationships. So let's jump into it. Before we get started, I want to tell you about my online membership and community creator courses. So I know that when you want to learn something new, the natural thing you probably do is go to Google or YouTube. I do the same thing. And that's really great for one-off projects. I uh, used a YouTube video to learn how to change a light switch in my house. Uh, but I am not a big fan of YouTube for learning new skills, right? Because there are lots of videos on every topic. But which one is best and who do you trust what order do you even watch the videos in and will you get the support you need? These are all things that YouTube or other potentially free videos can't do for you. So uh, I started Creator Courses a few years ago with the idea of uh, just putting online courses out there and I decided to morph it into a membership last year. So uh, stop wasting your time hunting and pecking for the right learning resources and tools. Over at Creator Courses, you can become a member and take all of the courses that we have to offer uh, included in that membership. And those courses focus on everything from just basic WordPress up to learning how to build websites without code, something you don't necessarily need to do uh, in this day and age. And all of the courses are developed by me. Uh, and if you listen regularly, you know that I've been a developer for decades at this point. And uh, I have lots of experience building websites. I'm a teacher at heart and I've created courses for LinkedIn learning and things like that. So uh, on top of the courses, we're also a community and members get access to forums and Slack and office hours with me. And so I just wanted to let you know about that and encourage you to join if you haven't already. Uh, listeners of the show, exclusively for listeners of the show, you can save 15% on all memberships, including the lifetime membership. All you have to do is visit creatorcourses.com slash build. That's creatorcourses.com slash B-U-I-L-D. Thanks so much. Now let's get on with the show. 
Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is my good friend, Nathan Ingram. He is a growth coach for WordPress business owners. Nathan, how are you today? Man, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, We've interacted multiple times through iThemes webinars and at various WordCamps. Um, And today, we're going to be talking in general about uh, clients and client relationships. Uh, this season has focused a lot on how freelancers and small business owners can grow. And there, uh, you know, there are people think that I, I need to charge more or I need more clients. But I think what we'll probably learn today, I don't want to lead this conversation too much already, but I've read your book, um, is that instead of more clients, you want kind of good quality clients. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, quantity is always great, but it's much better to have the right kind of client. And it's so important. You know, I'm a I'm a big advocate for freelancing, owning your own business, however you want to position that, whatever word you like, solopreneur, my own agency. People describe it different ways, but the the point being doing work with clients, owning your own business, owning your own time, controlling, you know, your life, building the life that you want using your skills. And, you know, I've had hundreds of coaching conversations with people around the world over the last several years. And what I've learned is that most freelancers, solopreneurs are one more bad client away from throwing in the towel. And that, that's really a shame because most of the problems that people encounter can be handled by having great systems and processes in place to keep those clients uh, fenced in. Yeah, absolutely. And I I agree wholeheartedly. People are one bad client away from throwing in the towel, right? You have, I've seen people just complain about every client they have. And I really wonder if they they like what they do or if they just like complaining. But um, I've made it, I, I, you know, I've been doing freelance work in some capacity for like half of my life now. So I started in high school and I've made it a habit to say no to the people who seem like like nightmares. Um, and you will definitely touch on that because you have a book called Dealing with Problem Clients. Uh, but why don't we start off? You mentioned that you've done a bunch of coaching calls. Tell uh, the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I wear a number of different hats. Um, at the core of what I do, I've, I've been building websites for clients since 1995. I've been at this a long time, really since the very beginnings of the web. And, uh, you know, in that time, I've dealt with fantastic clients. I've dealt with awful clients. Uh, and, and today, even, uh, you know, about half of my time is spent uh, doing client work, either building sites, managing sites, uh, all of those things. I enjoy it. I've got, you know, I, I keep the clients that I want uh, and, you know, have a, a good recurring revenue stream that's been built over the years in my business managing WordPress sites. Um, but out of that work, uh, I, I'm kind of naturally wired to be a teacher and I'm going to be helping people to the day I die. And so really, uh, without a whole lot of intention, I have stumbled into a teaching role, just kind of taking all the things that I've learned over the years, both technical and in business development um, topics and helping people both, you know, in online webinars and courses, uh, speaking live, doing coaching calls one-on-one and in groups uh, and then speaking at WordCamp events around the world. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so I I like what you said about naturally, you're naturally wired to be a teacher. Something that I had a hard time with, especially in the beginning, was uh, I wanted to help people. People needed a website. I viewed it 
most, especially in high school, mostly as a hobby. Um, I didn't think I could possibly charge for my hobby. And I was uh, susceptible to doing free or cheap work because I wanted to help people. Is that a trap that you fell into, or if you if you haven't, how did you how do you reconcile that sort of thing? Oh man, absolutely. So, you know that, that that's that's something I think a lot of folks struggle with. And um, the, the, one of the things that I, a conversation I have on a, a pretty regular basis with folks who are trying to sort out. Gosh, I'm at this place in my business, and I just can't seem to move forward. I've got all these obstacles, and one of the first decisions you have to make is okay is this a hobby or is this a business? Because if it's a hobby, you can pretty much do what you want to do and not worry about making a lot of money. But if this is what you are depending on to put food on the table and pay your bills, then you got to get serious and, and put some great structures in place in your business. Especially if, if you are a person who is a nice person like you are, Joe, and you enjoy helping people, if you don't have great fences, systems and processes in your business, to protect you from the friendly monsters, which clients can become, uh, you're going to end up burning yourself out because you're going to try to help people. And you, you are, if you're not protected from your own uh, helpful nature by good systems and processes, people will take advantage of you and suck the life out of you. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and it's not, like you said, they're friendly monsters, right? People aren't necessarily doing this on purpose. Some totally are. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> those are maybe the easier ones to screen uh, sure. if they're being like totally obvious. Um, actually, and as we record this, I have prepped another episode, the advice episode, which I will link to um, in the show notes for this episode, which you can find over at howibuilt.it, uh, where I talk about a story of how I had a client who would, I didn't, I didn't charge for communication. I thought I should only charge for actual work I was doing, um, not considering communication work. And he would call me every day and keep me on the phone for like an hour. The dude loved the sound of his own voice. And one <laughs> day I was just like, hey, uh, I'm going to start charging for these calls. It's so funny how he stopped calling and started emailing me. Pithy emails went right to the point. Absolutely. And, and that, so you put your finger on one of those things. I actually had this conversation yesterday in a coaching group that I'm doing. Uh, a, a client that is just emailing all the time. And, and what do you do about that? Um, you know, you have to realize that these questions that they're asking oftentimes are consulting in nature. And, and you, you've built them or, or you, you know, you're currently in a build, um, a project where you're building a website. That, that does not equal marketing consulting. Building a website is not marketing consulting. And if you have the ability to do that, that's awesome. You should totally do it but you have to frame the client relationship differently. And so, you know, one of the phrases that I'll typically use is, that's a wonderful question. I would love to sit down uh, and talk to you about that. Let's schedule some time uh, underneath, you know, in, in a marketing consulting agreement where we can really unpack that issue and get to a resolution for you. Yeah, that's, that's great. And so as we're waiting now into this conversation, um, I do want to mention uh, your book, Dealing with Problem Clients. I will link to that in the show notes as well. But uh, you you talk about this stuff, right? So, um, you know, part one of the book, I'm looking at the the contents right now. I don't have this memorized. Uh, is friendly monsters. Part two is building uh, fences around those friendly monsters. So, can you give us like maybe a quick synopsis of the book, and then we can dig deeper into some of that stuff? 
Yeah, absolutely. So this book actually came out of one of my more popular WordCamp talks uh, that I've done around the country. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun because... (laughs) Everybody has a problem client story. And so uh, when I when I was giving this talk, like all the heads were nodding and people were like, yeah, I've been there, done that, you know. So it, it's a it's kind of a softball to hit, you know. It, it's an easy topic to to connect with people about. And so when I thought about let's just put this into a book and see what happens, uh, I, I kind of positioned the book in a couple of different ways. That the first half of the book is fiction, where I'm introducing what I call friendly monsters, and there's four different friendly monsters that are introduced. And I do that in the form of a story where there's, you know, this web developer and they have this client issue and the story is told and how they work with their business coach to solve the issues that this particular problem client is presenting. Uh, and then the second half of the book is, is nonfiction. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it unpacks how to build these four fences that I suggest around these friendly monsters. And, and each monster is really, it tends to be controlled by one of those fences um, and uh, the book just sort of explains how all those things work. Uh, yeah, that's great. And I, so I read this a while back. I read it, I think, in a day. Um, and I was nodding in agreement, right? And again, I have 15 plus years experience in this space. And, um, oh gosh, it's 2020 now as we record this. So I've got like 20 years experience in this space. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I still got a lot of really good advice. I hadn't put kind of names to uh, some of these monsters, but these are all things that a lot of us have probably experienced. Like you said, it's it's a softball. Um, and what I like is that even if you're not necessarily a freelancer, um, this is some stuff that can apply to your full-time job as well, uh, especially like the boundary buster. I've had bosses call me on Christmas Day, because I had to get something done. Uh, I skipped I skipped going to a concert because I had to get something done. Guess what? The thing didn't need to get done that night. Um, so um, I think that there's a lot of good advice for anybody in general, but um, especially for freelancers, of course. So I don't want to give too much of the book away. Um, it's Again, it's a really easy read. I would strongly recommend it. Um, Nathan's not like on a book tour or anything. I just asked him to come on after <laughs> I read the book and I, cause I, I really loved it. Um, but there are a few, I, I've dog-eared a few pages in here that maybe we can kind of touch on. Um, Great. and the first is, um, how, how do you identify a problem client? Um, and to provide some context, I talk about this a little bit with Jason Resnick in episode 150 of the show. He kicked off the season. He talked about the importance of that. Uh, Shannon Schaefer of Purple, fin- Purple Finch. Um, gosh, I hope I'm getting that right. I'm really sorry, Shannon. Um, uh, she came on and she talked about how she has kind of automated her screening process through a few forms and things like that. How do you recommend somebody screens a client and what should they look for? That's uh, such a great question. So um I'm all for automation when, when automation makes sense. But when you're, when you're small, maybe you're just starting out or you, know, you have a handful of clients, you're not doing four or five projects a month. Mm-hmm. You're doing one or two. You know, like a typical freelancer is doing that le- level of work. Um, automation is more, in my view at least, it is more um, difficult than just sit down, have a conversation with the client face-to-face, either, either local you know, literally face-to-face or by video call at least, and just ask a bunch of questions. 
Um, one of the, in, in my process course, I have a, a, one of the lessons is mastering the client consultation. There's a, there's a strategy that I've developed uh, that's based around the acronym of SCOPE that kind of guides that conversation. Um, I have a checklist of questions that I ask every, in, in every, every client intake meeting, and it needs to be written down in a list because <laughs> inevitably, if you don't have the, the questions written down in a list, the question that you should most ask is the one that you will definitely forget, right? Uh, and so I've left the conversation having forgotten to mention, oh, part of this pricing is going to be uh, WordPress management on, you know, after the project is launched. And, oh, what about, you know, this feature of the project? I, I would forget to ask those things. And so getting good questions down in a checklist is imperative. And uh, as you meet with clients, very few people do this uh, automatically. This is more um, caught just by experience of you begin to develop a radar for these problem clients. And what I tell people is when you're meeting with clients and something just doesn't seem right, it's the tip of the iceberg. Meeting with a client for the first time is like being on a first date. You're getting the best possible version of that client that you're ever going to get. I mean, they're, they're putting their best foot forward. And so any issues that pop up that just don't seem right or this, they're kind of rude or you know, they're not listening to you or they're already starting to nickel and dime you on the price, all those sorts of things, that's just the tip of the iceberg and that doesn't get better. So listen to your gut and decide, is this a person that you really want to work with? And even if you need money, what I've learned over the years is uh, problem clients are never, ever worth the money. They're always going to cost you more in mental and emotional capital than they ever bring in in real dollars. Well, I know what I'm going to put at the top of this show now. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you need money, problem clients aren't worth the money. I uh, love that. I live that from experience. I know for sure. Um, anytime I think, oh, something's not going to be that hard, uh, it is. Um, or it's, how bad could it be? Uh, it's as <laughs> bad as you, Yeah, right. It's, it's as bad as you probably think it is. Trust your gut. Um, so, uh, so I should say, um, uh, I might've misrepresented Shannon's comments a little bit. Uh, she has like a screening form. She also always meets, but she saves her, she saves her time with that, that screening form. Right. Cause again, you can't, you can't know somebody really, uh, without them filling a form out. Um, my, my first screener is always via email. Um, if they say they need something, I say, all right, well, this is the minimum that I charge for projects. It could be more. And uh, if someone's like, can you go lower than that? I'm like, nope, you need somebody else. Uh, and exactly. I think that's, that's really important. Um, so uh, I, I love that. What are, what are some things, let's see, we both, uh, we're, we both kind of talk about trusting our gut here. What's some advice that you can give to somebody uh, if they don't necessarily have that gut instinct. To if they don't have the gut yet, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. I mean, so, you know, I got, trying to make yeah. mine a little smaller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, again, this this is something, some people are just born with great emotional intelligence, right? And they have the radar for people right off. Um, if If that's not you, there's nothing wrong with that. You can develop this. But unfortunately, it, it, it often comes by, you know, from the school of hard knocks. I mean, you will get better at recognizing bad clients after you've dealt with those. Now, what I try to do in this book is give you some classic symptoms of four 
very common, what I would call friendly monsters, uh, to recognize those folks on the front end. And, you know, those characteristics, once you start to see them, oh, you think, oh, you know what? That's a boundary buster. I'm dealing with a boundary buster there. Oh, this is an invisible man. And, you know, he's going to disappear on me again. And those sorts of things. You you begin to develop a radar. But again, a lot of this, it comes from experience. Today's episode is brought to you by Smile and their product, Text Expander. Save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. You know I'm all about automation and Text Expander is a great way to get started with automation. It allows you to create your own snippets for repetitive text you tend to use everywhere. Add the text, create a snippet, and boom, save precious time and keystrokes. One of my favorite snippets is for my address. So instead of typing out my full address and risking typos, I simply type dollar sign A-D-D-R and Text Expander does the rest, filling in my full address for me. I also have snippets for my street, my city, and my zip code. But that's not all Text Expander does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is when I type PPT. That will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it to plain text. So I'm no longer fighting formatting when I copy from a Word document, a Google Doc, or a plain HTML page, like a website. I also use it for common links, email messages, which I can completely customize with fill-ins and drop-down menus, and even date calculations. I'm currently writing a book, and Text Expander has been instrumental with that. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. So pretty much anywhere you do computing. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or automation in general, now's the time. As a listener, you can get 20% off your first year. Just visit textexpander.com podcast and let them know how I built it sent you. That's textexpander.com podcast for 20% off your first year. And now, back to the show. Something that I've, I've always said for a long time is that you can't, like you can go to business school, but you can't teach business. Um, it's all stuff that you learn from experience. So uh, you mentioned a couple, the invisible man, the boundary buster. Uh, I, I would say if you are just starting out, be vigilant about looking for the boundary buster because I feel like they're the biggest sink on your on your time. I had a client call me at midnight one time and I just like went off on her. Um, <laughs> I was like, you don't call me past. I, I was very, I said past seven, which is like pretty generous. Um, but I was like a college kid. I was staying up until, you know, two in the morning anyway. Um, but, you know, I've also found that those boundary busters are uh, also going to try to nickel and dime you, right? They want a lot for a little. They absolutely do. Uh, and so I was just having a, a conversation with somebody in, in a coaching context uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the, you know, they were like, well, this, this client just keeps texting me. And I'm like, oh, wait, the client has your cell phone number? Really? That's, yeah. Okay, so let, let's back up to that. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, giving a client your cell phone number is giving the client access to everywhere you carry your cell phone, which is everywhere probably, right? And so what I typically suggest for people is 
You've got the cell number. It's out there for business. Just port it over to a Google voice number or something like that and get a new cell phone number that you don't give out to everybody because, look, you, you have given people in your business access to your world. And you can say, well, I just want to answer the call or I want to answer the text. But if you're like me and there's that little red number bubble on the text app, you're, you've got to pick it up. I mean, we're just conditioned by our phones like Pavlov's dogs yeah. to, to clear those notifications. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to link Google Voice in the in the show notes um, if you uh, haven't heard of it or if you want to check it out because I've actually this year uh, in September of 2019, I should say, uh, I've had my cell phone number for 20 years. Uh, yeah. And so I don't want to change that and I, I don't want to give people direct access to me. I'm very um, cognizant about shutting down at 5.30 every day not answering email on the weekends. Um, and so I have a Google Voice number that I can check when I want to check it. Uh, and I make it very clear that email for professional stuff is the best way to get a hold of me. So I think that's probably part of it as well, right? Is that because um, this is my preferred medium. This is where you'll, you'll, you'll get the best chance of getting an answer from me via email. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, you know, if you're dealing with a boundary buster in particular, uh, you've got to be very clear on how and when you work because a boundary buster is, you know, they're the person that sends you an email at 3 a.m. and sends you another email at 7 saying, have you got this done yet? And you're like, well, you know, come on. Yeah. Um, but it happens a lot or, or they're calling you or texting you in worst case scenario. Yeah. And so clearly communicating how and when you work is critical. And guess what? It's your business. You get to decide those things. And those are some of the things you talk about in that first conversation with the client. If the client pushes back on that, this, it's a big red flag that this is maybe not a person I can work with. And just about every time I've had a client push back on my regular business hours, which are very reasonable, uh, they've, and, and I've taken the client anyway because I was stupid, uh, I, you know, I quote unquote needed the money. Uh, I always live to regret that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, this is part of it too, right? In that initial meeting, um, you have a list of questions that you should ask. There's probably also, um, a list of, I don't want to call them ground rules, but ground rules uh, that you, uh, that I mean, I state, right? Um, this is generally how much I charge. Like that's always a good screener. Um, the hours that I work, I'm a one man band. So um, if you need something on the weekend, I'm not the right person for the job sort of thing, stuff like that. Because uh, like you said, it's a first date. You're both, you both should be feeling each other out. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I talk about, I kind of unpack my whole system in the book uh, in, in, a, in an abbreviated way, but just talk about the flow of a way, the way a client project goes for me. And just like you said, at that first contact, you're going to immediately segregate by price. Uh, you know, there's a minimum price to work with me and I'm not even going to meet with a person face to face until they understand that. Uh, otherwise, you're just gonna you're gonna waste an hour with a or, or more with a person. Yeah. Um. You know. And then if they're gonna meet with me face to face, then we go through some of those ground rules of, you know, this is this is how a project works. Uh, this is you know sort of a, an idea of what this project you're talking about is gonna cost, uh, and not go any further until the client is on board with all of those things. Uh, one of the things that is important to realize about clients, it's a relationship like any other relationship. Uh, and as a relationship, it's based on healthy commitments back and forth. Uh, you commit some things to the client, the client has to commit some things to you. For years, uh, I made the mistake of thinking that, you know, the only commitment the client had to make to me was signing the check. And because you know, I'm, I'm getting to do what I love to do and it's awesome. I'm getting paid for it. This is great. 
and the client signs the check and then I'm just coming with the cape and I'm Superman. I'm going to make it happen, right? Uh, and it just, it doesn't work that way. Uh, the client has to commit to the project just as much as I do. And uh, if we don't do that, then it's not a good relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this is going to sound way more condescending than I intended to be. Um, but I mean, I have an almost three-year-old. And if if I break one of, oh, you can't do this right now, but I want to, but I want to, but fine, you can. That's going to teach her that if she just asks me five times, I'm going to break down and do it. And she'll keep pushing that boundary. And uh, the same goes with, I'm going to say anybody who's who's paying money for something, right? I've been in that situation. I, uh, a quick sidebar, I cut my Philip Hughes strip lights um, on the wrong end, like two hours after I bought them because I thought the end came off. And so I called them and I said, hey, is there anything you can do for me? And they're like, no, unfortunately, this is misused. And I'm like, but I just bought them. Um, I, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I didn't, well, their instructions are kind of bad. but. I acted, there are no words in the instructions, it's just pictures, Uh, but I acted too quickly because I was distracted and I was excited and I didn't follow the instructions clearly. I shouldn't expect them to reimburse me for my dumb mistake. It cost them money too, probably. So um, we all do it, but they drew a very clear boundary. And now I know that if I break one of my Philips U things, they're probably not going to replace it. So be careful. Yeah, exactly. And so boundaries like that are what I call fences. So the book is dealing with problem clients, building fences around friendly monsters. And that to keep the friendly monsters, the, the potentially problem clients in the fence and not running all over the rest of your world, you need to have these fences in place. And then the key is, especially if you're a nice person, don't tear down your own fences. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Again, just uh, a perfect reinforcement of that is is... Um, if you say something, then then stick to your guns. Um, Absolutely. So this initial meeting, how long should it be? 15 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours? So in my experience, after doing this for a long time, I can usually do that first client meeting in an hour or slightly longer, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, but I've got a pretty good process, you know, a good checklist of questions. Um, I, at the beginning of that meeting, I always ask the client for permission to run the meeting uh, okay. because, you know, one, one of these, one of the problem clients is what I call the question mark. And the question mark has no idea what they want. They just want to be there to ask questions and dream. And so I ask for permission right out of the gate. Look, uh, so I, I've developed a process for running, you know, for meeting with clients for the first time so that we get the most value out of the time both of us do to make sure this is going to be a good fit. And so I ask them for permission to run the meeting so that we can make the most efficient use of our time. And then I run the meeting. Um, So, you know, letting a client sit there and ask you a million questions before they've committed anything to you is a huge mistake. You'll sit there all afternoon and they'll be nowhere close to signing a proposal. Yeah, absolutely. And and, um, I think in the book, you kind of make the distinction between uh, answering what questions and answering how I hope I'm not giving away the gold here. No, no, this uh, is no, th- this yeah. is a this is a really important rule of thumb. Um, whenever I'm giving this talk, it's 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 one of the things I always emphasize, and it's it's just a, a rule of thumb for me is that uh, um, what questions are free, but how questions that's going to cost money. That's intellectual property. So you know what are we going to do? What does the site need to be? Those are questions that I'll cover in the initial client meeting, but how we're going to do it, you don't get that until you have paid me money. Yeah, and and um, that could be really hard. I had a client 
Uh, they wanted a proposal. Essentially, they wanted me to look at their site and uh, like, what, what are you going to do? How can you do these things? We have, we need performance, blah, blah, blah. So I wrote up all of the things I could do to boost performance. And then they said, well, how are you going to do it? And I said, I will tell you how once we have a contract in place or I'll do exactly. them for you. Right. Um, Cause again, if they just want to know how they can do it themselves, that could be a, a, a discovery project or something like that. Right. Where you give them a write up of exactly what they need to do to do it. And then once they try to do it and fail, that's when they hire you um, <laughs> or they'll exactly. successfully do it. And, and now they've saved money. You've saved time and you can move on to other clients. For sure. And, th- and this is really an issue where a lot of folks uh, make a make a critical mistake in their business is, again, they want to be helpful. They want to or they want to prove to the client that they really know what the heck they're talking about. And, you know, so we end up giving way too much information. And uh, what we forget is there's a gap between what we know and what the client knows. And that gap has value. Don't be afraid to charge for that. Uh, it's taken you years, baby, to learn all the things you know. Uh, or even if you're just starting out, maybe, you know, you've only been in this for a few months. Well, you still know more than the client knows. You may not know more than somebody else does, but there's nothing wrong with that. They're not sitting in front of the client. You are. So the gap between what you know and what your client knows has value. Don't be afraid to charge for it. Yeah, absolutely. I I know I keep saying, yeah, absolutely. But I don't know what else I can add to that. It's It's... So important. Um, I had a computer science teacher talk about this, right? Um, you're not paying a lawyer to to learn the law right there. You're paying the lawyer for their knowledge. That's why you're paying them $300 or whatever an hour because they know this stuff and they're going to save you eight years of school right? to, to do it exactly. for you. So um, the same thing goes with you, freelancer or small business owner. You have spent time learning your craft and you are solving a problem for the client. That's what they should be paying for. Yeah, for sure. Yep, so. uh, and, and, and by the way, that's, you know, the client should be paying you for, for your value. Uh, it's going to save them time. You're going to do it better than them anyway. And the, the illustration I always like to give is, you know, I could walk into Home Depot and buy tile for my bathroom and, and watch a YouTube video and try to put that in. And it may or may not turn out okay. Or I could hire a towel professional to come in and do the work and I know it's going to be done right. Uh, and, and that's a, it's a good analogy. And I use that with clients sometimes of, you know, well, can anybody build a website? Well, they can build a website, but whether or not it works for you is going to be or is effective to reach your target market. That's, you know, that's way out there. I've, I've learned things over 20 years that are going to help me build a website better than most people can. Yeah, absolutely. And and as a freelancer, you have a direct value proposition for stuff like that, right? I charge $100 an hour. If I'm going to do something and it's going to uh, save me less than that, then I'm wasting my money, right? Um, a, a shingle, not a shingle, a piece of siding fell off my house. And I, I have a group of people saying, oh, you could do that. Just get a really tall ladder and do it. And then my dad is like, hire somebody to do it. Uh, And I'm like, yeah, it's going to take me forever to get over the fear of climbing up that ladder and then doing it and hoping and hope I do it right. Um, Or I could just pay my friend who's a roofer a hundred bucks to do it for me. He'll do it in five minutes and it's going to save me an afternoon. So um, exactly. It's it's really good to think about things that way. Um, So so we've talked about kind of that initial meeting and screening 
I know that something that I used to have a lot of trouble doing or figuring out when to do it is presenting a contract to the client. Uh, Do you do it in that first meeting? Do you work up a proposal and include the contract? Um, What what's your process? Well, first of all, uh, are there times when I shouldn't have a contract? Uh, And then if not, when do I give them a contract? Yeah, so <laughs> the only time when you shouldn't have a contract is when you're working with a perfect person. Mm-hmm. And those people don't exist, <laughs> right? So you don't, you don't need a contract for the good clients. You need a contract for the bad clients and you can never know who you're dealing with. You know, you may meet with a person who just seems like the perfect fit and they're going to be great and they're fun to be around. And then all of a sudden, two weeks into the project, they transform and you're like, where did this other person go? I like them a lot, but there's this other person here now and they're horrible to deal with and they're wanting, you know, all these things that we didn't promise and it's complicated. So never, ever, ever, ever work without a contract. Um, The the fences that I talk about in, uh, in in the book are, you have to have a contract that you both agree to that establishes these boundaries that the project is going to live in. Otherwise, you are at, at significant risk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have worked without contracts and I have regretted it. Yeah, for sure. Now, on the, in the same vein, I, I'm not going to give them that contract right out of the gate, because, you know, in that, in that first meeting, because that can be incredibly intimidating. That's like, you know, asking somebody to marry you after the first date. It, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's make sure we're on the same page. Um, so when I leave that first meeting with the client, uh, by the way, I don't even write a proposal for the client, which can take a long time until they've agreed on at least a ballpark price for what this project is going to, to be. And I'll either give them that ballpark price in that first meeting or in a short follow-up email later. Um, but I mean, how much time have I wasted over the years writing proposals for clients who thought, oh, I thought this was going to be a $500 project and you're saying it's going to be 4,500. Yeah. And I've agonized over that proposal and, you know, tweaked the wording here and there and spent hours and I'm way off the client's price point. So, um, again, it's, it's a balance back and forth of commitments. So I'm not going to commit to even spending the time of writing the proposal until the client agrees to a ballpark price of usually around $1,000 is kind of my rule of thumb. Uh, and then I deliver to them the, the, the proposal and the contract at the same time. Nice. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And, um, I've done the same exact thing and I've thought, oh, well, you know, I'll give them three prices so that it maybe it'll be better. But uh, I've gotten away from all of that. Um, I basically give them my price once they understand what my minimum is. I always say this is the minimum that I charge. Uh, It could be more based on this. And then I'll have a couple of add-ons, but I'll never go lower than my minimum. Right. Um, So I, in the beginning, wrote my own contract and that like, 20 years old um, and not a lawyer. That wasn't a great idea. Luckily, my college roommate's dad was a lawyer. So we kind of, I did his website. He wrote my contract for me. Um, but you you often run into these issues where um, you get like a generic contract that maybe isn't specific to uh, to what exactly what you do, right? I've changed my contract because now I do more video and podcasting work than web design work. There are a few differences there. Um, but you are, you, as we record this, uh, by the time this episode comes out, it should be out, but you're working on something to help 
freelancers with that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that, Joe. Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the critical things that um, I usually deal with in a in a coaching situation or in some of the the, the online teaching by a webinar that I've done is dealing with a contract. And I mean, I had, this was my issue years ago. Uh, I've got this, you know, hastily written thing that I did, which was really not great at all. And then you find the, here's the extremes. Uh, Most people either have something they threw together themselves, which is, you know, full of holes and problems and so forth, or they have this gigantic, weighty legalese thing that they don't even understand that they pulled off the web somewhere or based off of something they pulled on the web. And it's just, it's not great either because it's just legalese and it doesn't really deal with real world web development. So uh, in my business, I've developed a contract that I, I mean, it's, it's, it's been battle tested over 20 years of building websites for clients. And I'd made that available through my courses in the past. And I thought, let's do this a little differently because I know that this is extremely helpful to people. And so I've released a product called monstercontracts.com. I kind of built around the friendly monster idea out of the book. And uh, the monster contract is about, uh, it's it's based on my contract that I use in my business. And uh, you will be able to quickly customize it for your business. And as I've used this kind of beta testing with people around the country, uh, it, I've not heard from people overseas using this because the laws can be very different. Mm-hmm. But around the United States in particular, people have used it in different states uh, and have been able to use it pretty much right out of the box. And now my my... Uh, recommendation is always get it vetted by a local attorney because sometimes local state laws can be a little different here, a little different there. Maybe the boilerplate language needs a couple little tweaks here and there. But uh, every single bit of feedback I've gotten has been, oh, I gave it to my lawyer. They said this was great. They made minimal changes just with some of that state-specific language and it was ready to go. So uh, maybe an hour of the lawyer's time at most and you've got a great contract that deals with the specific issues of web development. Uh, and and that's really the key. You know, what what happens if the client delays forever on a project? I mean, how many people listening to this today are right now waiting on a client to deliver content for the website? Probably everybody if you're working with clients, right? So how do you deal with that? How do you get paid? Um, you know, what happens if, oh my gosh, all of a sudden the w- emails from WordPress aren't being delivered to my client's inbox. And now they say, you're, you know, they're going to sue you for a million dollars because of supposed lost revenue because they missed out on some contract. How do you deal with that? Is that kind of thing covered in your contract? Because if it's not, you might find yourself in a whole lot of trouble. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Do you remember when you started your small business? It was no small feat. It took lots of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things easier? Well, my friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumbled receipts. As a side note, I actually told my accountant the first time that I used the shoebox method and his face turned white. But in actuality, FreshBooks was one of the first things I bought when I started my business. I've been a FreshBooks user since 2009. It's easily the best accounting and invoice software for small business owners like us. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Nothing is better than sending out an invoice and getting it paid in the same day. That's happened for me with FreshBooks. 
You can also file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part is that FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Now, there are a lot of features on this list I have here to talk about, but I'm going to pick two of my favorites. The first is late payment reminders. They are clutch. It's one less thing that I need to worry about when making sure I get paid. I don't have to keep track of exactly when I sent the invoice. And if I already sent a follow-up email or whether or not they viewed the email, all of that is taken care of inside FreshBooks. The other feature I really like is the automated expenses. I connect my business credit card to FreshBooks and my expenses automatically get imported. They are all there, ready for me and my accountant to review. It makes tax time easier for both of us. And it's no secret that I love automation and these two features make my life a lot easier. After doing things by hand, FreshBooks is worth the price of admission just for those two things. So join the 24 million people who have used FreshBooks. You can try it for 30 days for free. No catch, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash built it and enter how I built it in the how did you hear about us section to get started. That's freshbooks.com slash built it. That's built with a T. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for supporting the show. And now let's get back to it. So first of all, uh, uh, excellent disclaimer, right? Neither Nathan nor I are lawyers. But not at all. This contract has been reviewed by lawyers. You should have it reviewed by your own lawyer. Um, I'm going to link to an episode uh, I did with Ryan Kinney. She is a uh, lawyer in the WordPress space. She is a fantastic human being who has helped me with not only business stuff, but I had a little uh, personal issue with a former landlord who tried to charge me because they wanted to put in new carpets. Um, and uh, I handled everything, but she had my back. She's like, this is well within your rights. They are wrong. Um, and so I ended up saving, you know, a couple grand uh, on that too. So Ryan's wonderful. Um, Absolutely. I'm just going to to tease a little bit. Uh, I brought this up for a specific reason because I love some of the stuff you have in your contract. Um, in in the book, you mention uh, that if a client delays the project more than thirty days, it's suspended. More than sixty days, um, then it's considered abandoned, and they forfeit the deposit. I've always thought about doing something like that, but I wasn't sure if I could or if it's right, but um, I'm sure we've all had projects that have gone on much, much longer than we expected. Uh, so um, I love that your contract, due to your experience, covers stuff like that. Yeah, it absolutely does. Because that, like I said, everybody who works with clients is going to deal with a delayed project. So what do you do about that? Uh, and so the suspended and abandoned language is one of those options. Uh, in the monster contract, there's actually a couple of different ways to deal with that. One is actually, it's something I've been implementing in my business for the last year now. Um, and I don't even, I don't deal with the suspended and abandoned projects much anymore because um, of a payment structure. Uh, and so there's these various options are there in the contract. You, they're plug and play. You can choose which one you want or maybe uh, use the, the language to create your own um, way to handle this. But the, the way that I'm dealing with a lot of that now, Joe, is 
the client pays half up front, a 50% deposit as usual. And in the past, I was like 50% up front, 50% on completion. Then you're waiting on getting paid for the client to deliver content. And that's terrible. It can be, you know, my personal record is 16 months. Uh, and there've wow. been people who have, yeah. And I, sometimes I ask that question when I'm speaking to groups and, you know, some people have been waiting two or three years, so I don't feel quite as bad, but you know, uh, 16 months is a long time uh, to get paid, right? Uh, so I've started moving to the, the 50% deposit. The next 25% is due 30 days after the project is initiated. And then the remaining 25% is due 30 days after that or at project launch, whichever comes first. And so there's those pieces of language that are in the contract, uh, the monster contracts as options, and you can decide what best fits your business. That's great. And so that makes sense, right? Because now you are paid on a predictable schedule, something that could be killer for a freelancer, right? If, if they can't predict when they're getting paid. Um, but also, the client's going to pay in full, no matter what, essentially. Um, and if they don't, the project's done. Uh, and if they do, they're more likely to deliver everything they need to make sure the project gets done. Exactly. And, and the point being... It, it's tough not to be paid when the, the thing that's going to get you paid is out of your control. Right. So, you know, the client's waiting on the photographer to show up to take pictures or they're just dragging their feet on writing their content or their, you know, whatever. When that's out of your control and you're sitting here, I got to pay this bill and that puts the stress on you of I've got to, you know, twist the arm of the client. And most of us who are doing web development aren't really good at that anyway, is, you know, yeah. confrontation with client. It, it's, it's just a miserable place. And what we have to realize is I designed this system that's making me miserable. So let me design a system that won't make me miserable. And that's what I'm going to enforce in my contract. That's, that's fantastic. So, uh, so I would encourage you to check out monstercontracts.com. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. We are coming up on time and I have two very important questions to ask you. One is, my favorite question that I ask at the end of every episode. But one is, we talked about getting clients and vetting clients. How do you fire a client? Oh, boy. Okay, so firing a client is complicated. Uh, there is language in the monster contract to deal with that. But, uh, and, and this is why it's so important to work with a contract. Because if you are not working with a contract, and the situation gets so bad that you have got to terminate this relationship with the client, and it, there's already um, there's already problems there, and you have no designated process that you've both agreed upon as to how this relationship can dissolve. You're going to lose sleep over that, and that's just it's awful. Uh, so the way to fire a client, first of all, is to have a good contract in place where you've been very clear about how that process works. Uh, and so the way I handle it basically is uh, if the client, if more than the, if, if more of the project has been done than the client is paid for, the client has to pay that balance and we, and they get all the assets and we dissolve it. Uh, or if, you know, the, if, if we owe the client money and we elect to dissolve it, then in that case, we'll give the client a little bit back and, and we'll call it a day. It's worth it. Uh, but you, you've got to make sure the process is crystal clear. Otherwise, you're going to end up in court and that is not fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, two quick personal stories here is I did a project within the last few years without a contract. I was doing what I thought was an easy thing. Uh, the client was unhappy with an aspect of it and they initiated a chargeback. And since I didn't have a contract, 
I had no grounds to get that that money back. Um, exactly. Was, I I I lost sleep over that. It like it ate me up inside. It was I, I guess I'm lucky the first time in 19 years uh, that I had a chargeback. But man, it uh, I was it was rough. Um, and so now I have a contract, you know, for the new aspect of my business. It, I feel like I relearned a lot of lessons I learned switching industries. Um, but in my web design, when I was doing web design full time, I had a contract. Uh, I had a client who was um, probably all four of these uh, nightmare or monsters all rolled into one. They were not friendly. Um, but uh, they were unhappy with the way the project was going. And they asked what the deadline was because they thought I was in breach of the contract. And my contract doesn't have specific dates in it. So um, that saved me there. And and the the project just dissolved after that. So um, be crystal clear with the process. I like that a lot. So there's not a specific way, but you need to think about the way that works best for you to protect you and your client, right? You're making commitments to each other. Protect those commitments. But when you're firing a client, you should be thinking about yourself mostly here. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so, uh, Nathan, you have already given us tons of advice. I have lots of notes here, but I do need to ask my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? <laughs> trade secrets. Um, well, what I always tell people who are trying to up their game in their freelancing, in their solopreneur business, in their small agency, however you want to put the label, um, what I tell people, there's two things. First of all, you want to standardize your tool set as quickly as possible. Don't go by, you're getting a new theme for every project. Don't try new plugins for every project. Get a set that works for you and then build everything using that. The more that you can streamline and be efficient, the better. The second thing is, and this is really a two-part piece of advice, is build recurring revenue as quickly as possible. If you're in the WordPress space and you are dealing with, you know, or you're in the web space at all, website management is the, the first place you should start. Uh, so build recurring revenue as quickly as possible, but then at the same time, eliminate recurring expenses as quickly as possible, which means get out of debt. Uh, a lot of people that I deal with in, in a coaching context, uh, they're freelancing, they're shackled with consumer debt, credit cards, things like that, cars that are really more of a payment than they can truly afford. That, uh, it's like, Freelancing is a marathon and it's like running a marathon with a boat anchor behind you if you've got <laughs> debt. Because, I mean, debt is, debt, if you've got a regular job where you know how much money you're bringing in every month, you can manage some debt. But freelancing, it never goes that way. I've been doing this over 20 years and I have months that are awesome and months that are, you know, not as great. It's up and down, up and down. It's like peaks and valleys. And recurring revenue helps to stabilize some of that, but it's still up and down. And so it, it's hard to bring on recurring expenses when you don't have a regular recurring income. So get out of debt as quickly as possible. Get out of stupid debt like credit cards and, and very expensive vehicles that you can't truly pay for and those sorts of things. Get rid of that stuff. Build your recurring revenue. What that creates when there becomes a gap, when you're, you're, especially when your recurring revenue is more than your recurring expenses and you can pay yourself from your recurring revenue. That's, by the way, one of the, the chief goals I try to help people reach in a coaching situation. Because what that does is it creates peace. And most freelancers do not have peace of mind when it comes to their finances. And when you've got that, when you've got a good recurring revenue coming in, whether you're paying yourself with that or not, 
when you've got that piece of knowing, hey, I've got some money coming in, you can say no a lot easier to the problem clients. You're not forced into taking clients and projects that you really shouldn't take that are going to end up making your life stressful on lots of different levels. So that's my advice. Standardize your tool set, build recurring revenue as quickly as possible. I love that. And and like you said, recurring revenue doesn't need to be a product or a subscription. It could be maintenance stuff. Um, Absolutely. Hosting is something that, you know, I, I use a host that allows me to resell their hosting. And so I don't pay for that hosting, essentially. And I have some money coming in, predictable money coming in. So awesome. for sure. Well, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for your time and advice. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Man, I've enjoyed it. I love helping folks. And uh, uh, yeah, appreciate the, appreciate the opportunity, Joe. For sure. Uh, you know, before we go, I need to ask, where can people find you? People have learned so I, much about you. Where can they find you? <laughs> they can find me at NathanIngram.com. Uh, there's got, uh, that, that website has information about some of the courses I offer, as well as individual and group coaching opportunities that, uh, that, that we can engage with. All right. I will link to that and everything we talked about in the show notes over at howibuilt.it. Nathan, thanks again. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much to Nathan for joining me this week. Right off the bat, he got started with some fantastic advice about building the life you want, about realizing if your business or the way that you're making money is a hobby or if it is a business and how to treat it that way. So this is, there's just, I mean, tons, tons of great information. And be sure to check out his contract over at monstercontracts.com. There will be a link in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 160. Thanks so much to this week's sponsors. They are Yith, Text Expander, and FreshBooks. Some of my favorite tools to help me run my business, and I would recommend them for any freelancer. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you want to learn more about the things that I'm doing over at creator, creatorcourses.com with my courses and my membership, you can get a free PDF over at howibuilt.it slash 160. That shows you five tools to help you build websites faster. Who does not want to do that? So thanks so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>